Hey everybody, uh, hope you're doing well. My name's Pastor Jonathan. I wanna continue the conversation on prayer that we've been having over these last few weeks. Uh, we've looked at what is prayer, We've looked at why pray. Uh, Pastor Dan led us through the disciples' prayer, what it means to pray to the Father according to his will and his purpose, as, as well as the needs we have for God's presence and forgiveness. Uh, last week, Dan talked to us about what it looked like to, what it looks like to, to pray through fear and anxiety. And I just want to encourage you, if you've missed any of these, uh, visit online, um, listen to these conversations. They've been so helpful and so practical. I encourage you to do that. Uh, Dan's been sharing with us some, some prayers people pray, and I wanted to share one that, that I that I like. It's one of my favorites. It's actually a, an Irish blessing, and, and it goes something like this. May those who love us love us, and those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if, they, if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we'll know them by their limping. Uh, amen? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think this could be a very helpful prayer. Uh, we've been talking about prayer in the context of, of a relationship. In prayer, we, we want to continue the conversation that, that God started with us. We're, we're talking with God, not just to God. Uh, prayer is not demanding that God give us what we want. No, we partner with God and we pray for things that align with his heart and, and his kingdom. And so when we read God's word and respond, uh, we find our hearts aligning with his and, and it begins to change us. Uh, this week we want to look at another psalm, uh, a prayer that, that might be a little different than what we're used to hearing. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it's what I love about the Bible though. Uh, it's real, it's raw, because pain is real. Last week, we learned to pray through the emotion of fear. Today, we want to learn how to pray through pain. You know, pain is something that we all experience in life, but unless you're a bunch of guys comparing injuries and, and old scars or, or women talking about their, their labor experience, it's, it's not something we typically enjoy talking about. In fact, some find it odd that we even talk about pain. I mean, so much of, of the church's music and preaching leans towards happiness and avoiding pain. I remember in, in church singing uh, the hymn, At the Cross, in which the chorus says, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Uh, it's a great hymn, it's not very realistic. Uh, we won't reach happy all the day status until we're with Jesus. Happiness is not a promise. It's not a promise in this life. It can't be gained in, in three to five easy steps. And while joy and contentment and gratitude are, are reflected in the life of a Christ follower, it doesn't mean that we escape pain. Truth is, many followers of Jesus are stuck in a, a perpetual state of pain, whether, it, whether it's arthritis or back issues or some other physical pain. Or maybe it's the, the loss, the pain of loss and grief, the, the pain of loneliness, of isolation, depression, anxiety, or, or any combination of these hurts. Sometimes it, it's the pain of caring for others who, are, who, are, who struggle physically, mentally, or emotionally. 
Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I've escaped pain. Uh, I've, I've broken bones, I've been hospitalized for various painful reasons. Uh, I had surgeries, lost good friends, close family, watched family members suffer incurable chronic pain. You know, the, the truth is I may not completely understand your pain, but I understand pain. As a pastor, I've, I've had the privilege of, of walking with people through illnesses and the death of children, uh, spouses, uh, newborns, parents, suicides, overdose, loss of health, loss of homes, imprisonment, bankruptcy, cancer, divorce, breakups, you could go on. You see, pain is real, and it's a part of every one of our lives, and honestly, no pain compares to the pain that you feel personally. You see, when life isn't what we want it to be, when the course of life takes a, a sudden turn, when we, we face un, unanticipated disappointments, we experience pain. When we experience delays and life doesn't go the way that we had hoped or dreamed it would, uh, we pray, we wrestle day after day, month after month, sometimes year after year, our prayers seem to go unanswered. You wonder, is, is it even worth praying anymore? The truth is, God never abandons his own. And the writers of the Psalms knew that. But there are times when we feel ghosted spiritually. We see this in, in many of the Psalms in which the, the writer cries out, Oh Lord, do not hide your face from me. It's a sense of abandonment. It's a, a terrible feeling to be in this place of pain, which often leads to a crisis of faith and doubt. Uh, Dan's going to be talking about that very thing next week. There's no way around it. Following Jesus will, will rescue us from a thousand evils, but it won't keep us from pain. So just as pain is real, pain can also be a gift because pain alerts us something's wrong and it can be a catalyst to positive change in our lives. Sometimes the only path to healing is through pain. It reminds me of being a kid playing outside. I think the only thing that was worse than getting a scraper or a cut was getting that scraper cut and then mom and dad taking us into the bathroom to clean the wound. And then they'd pull out this little brown bottle of hot pink liquid called methylate. Uh, how many remember that? Uh, it's not sold today, not sure why, <laughs> but it was liquid pain. I mean, it hurt. Um, if you weren't crying from the scrape, you were crying from this methylate. But it was used to clean the wound so it'd heal better. It was helpful, but it was painful. You see, if we know Jesus, we know deep down that, that suffering highlights our dependence on God. Writing to the church in Corinth, Paul said it like this, we don't, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. They felt pain. But he goes on, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
You see, if we know Jesus, we know deep down that our, our pain can be used to comfort others. Uh, when, when people experience the same kind of pain that we've been through. Same section of Paul's letter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, a Father of compassion and God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that there's a reason we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. As followers of Jesus, we know that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Paul says, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. In other words, God's grace sustained him. It, it strengthened him through the painful times. As followers of Jesus, we know that our trials will produce in us the, the qualities and characteristics that make us more and more like Jesus. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so all these things point to that sometimes pain is a gift. Pain can be a reminder that we're not home yet. Pain can help us remember so we can empathize with others. Pain can be a refiner that moves us to be more and more like Jesus. Pain can move us to rest in God's strength, to, to lean on him, depend on him. All these things are true. And yet sometimes pain just feels like pain. Pain is painful. Sometimes we can't see the purpose of our pain and it, and it seems God isn't doing anything to relieve it. We pray and pray and pray and things only seem to, to move from difficult to worse. And our hearts ache with the pain of broken dreams, broken bodies, broken relationships, broken sinfulness. And we strain to see a silver lining. We keep looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. But hope and happiness elude us. What, what do we do? Sometimes we can heap harmful expectations on, on top of already painful circumstances by simply challenging one another. Yeah, just, just keep it together. Yeah, we don't want others to know that we're struggling. We try to avoid tears at any cost. Someone has written, even in Christian circles, there's a subtle undercurrent that we must always have a glimmering hope just above the dirt of despair. So what can we do? When we experience this kind of raw pain, often we need to talk it out with somebody. But how do we do that with God? How do we talk it out with God? Is there a proper way to talk to God in our pain? What does that look like? If you would, uh, grab your Bible or, or device and, and just go to, to Psalm 88. It's a fascinating psalm. It's, it's called a psalm of lament. A lament is simply an expression of grief or, or sorrow or pain. It's a song or, or a prayer of sadness. You see, the Bible recognizes that there's pain in all of our lives. When we read the Psalms, we see both Psalms of praise and worship as well as prayers of lament. 
In fact, prayers of lament comprise the largest section of the Psalms. Uh, if you want to learn how to pray through pain, try pray th praying through some of the laments, like Psalm 22, 39, uh, 59, 74, 109. Now here's the thing. If you, if you think you need to present a, a cleaned up version of yourself to God, lest, lest you offend him, uh, these Psalms aren't for you. Uh, these psalms are the prayers of real people experiencing real pain expressed in raw emotion. And they're included in God's word because God knows that in this fallen and perfect world, pain will be normal. Sometimes overwhelming struggle will outweigh overwhelming help. We, we need these psalms of lament to know how to talk to God in our pain. Sometimes they make us uncomfortable. They say things where, ah, I'm not sure he should have said that. <laughs> but they expose the pain inside of us that we're not always eager to engage. That's why we need them. And God has given us permission to use them. For example, Psalm 10 begins, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? Uh, when, <laughs> when's the last time you began a prayer like that? Or Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Jesus quoted this psalm as he hung from the cross. Then there's Psalm 88, I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? These are earthy psalms. These are, are gritty prayers. We need these laments. We need them because we know pain. A recent survey was conducted as people left church services. Between 60 and 75% uh, of those who came out of worship uh, that morning <clears throat> said that they had some significant pain. Some significant pain in their lives or in the lives of someone close to them. You know, if this is even remotely accurate, three out of four people around you right now feel some kind of significant pain in their lives. I mean, let's face it, these have been a, 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 cuff, a tough couple of years. We need these laments. If you come to church and all you can do is cry, you know what? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> if more of us were honest and not trying to look like we have it all together, I think we'd see a whole lot more tears. We need these laments because it's the only way to be honest with God and the people around us. We need laments for the integrity of our faith. We need them because I believe, believe sometimes it's the only path to healing. I have a feeling that many followers of Jesus today would be a lot more healthier if they didn't bottle up their pain and their laments, but had the freedom to come to worship with a box of Kleenex. <laughs> I feel like the writer of Psalm 88 held stock in Kleenex. <laughs> I want to read the whole thing and, and then go back and pull some things out of this. But just to be clear, not everything he says here is true. But what he feels in this moment is an honest and real reflection 
of how we can feel in the midst of pain. It's an accurate description. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music, according to Mahalath Lianath. Uh, some translate this uh, a suffering of affliction, a maskal of, of Heman, the Ezraite. He says, Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken me from, taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, day, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I've been, <clears throat> I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. When Paul Simon began the classic song, Sound of Silence, with the phrase, Hello, darkness, my old friend, he wasn't the first to express the idea. Heman closes his, his prayer with darkness. It's actually the very last word in this psalm. <laughs> the older I get, the, the more I understand the weight of these words. One professor describes a psalm, which I think is very fitting for this weekend, a wintry psalm that will not thaw. <laughs> Reminds me of a passage from Chronicles of Narnia. It's, uh, it is winter in Narnia, said Mr. Tumnus, and has been forever so long, always winter, but never Christmas. What's so fascinating about this prayer is that it's the only psalm that ends like it begins. Now, other psalms of lament begin with frustration and helplessness, but they often conclude with a declaration of God's character that leads to worship. Psalm 88 stands silent in pain. No tidy bow to wrap things up. That fascinates me because I, I wonder why would God allow such hopelessness in, in the pages of his word? And I think the answer is, it helps us to know how to turn raw sorrow into prayer. And see, there's no need to, to bedazzle our grief or, or try to dress up pain with glitter and glue. That, but that being said, lament is always appropriate, but never the final word. I read uh, June 21st, 2015 in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, Reverend Norvell, Nor Norval. Norvell Goff, 
preached a, a message of lament. You see, if you remember, only a, a week before, nine people in his church had been killed during a Bible study by an individual who was driven by, by racial hatred. In his first sermon back after this massacre, he said this, We ask questions, Lord. We ask why. We cannot help it. It's our human nature. But through it all, those of us who know Jesus, as we find ourselves engulfed in sadness and darkness, as we find ourselves walking through the shadow of the valley of death, for those of us who know Jesus, we can look through the windows of our faith and we see hope and we see light. And we hear your voice saying, I am with you. Powerful words. But what if you look through the windows of faith and they've been shattered? What if the darkness is just too loud, the pain is too loud? That's the reality of this psalm. There are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, and, and Psalm 88 is without, the, without doubt the, the saddest. It's the only psalm in the entire Bible without any kind of relief. It's a, it's a valley without a mountain. It's darkness without a dawn. It's sickness without a cure. And many consider it the basement of the Psalms. And see, Ezra, the Ezra Ezraite, was, was seriously depressed. You know, maybe he was chronically ill or struggling to find peace. We, we don't really know. But I think it's interesting that some scholars speculate that they had leprosy that kept him isolated and alone. I know another person said it feels like this is a psalm that could have been written by, by someone with Alzheimer's. Uh, we don't know the context, but we know he feels abandoned by God, his loved ones, his friends. His prayers seem to go unanswered. He feels close to death. I don't know where your mind and your heart are today. Un unknown to any anyone around you, you might you might be where, where Heman is or, or know someone who is. If so, I believe we can find some ways to pray in the psalm that can be helpful. God has given us a song to sing, a, a prayer to pray in the darkness. There's other psalms that we could read in times like this, like Psalm 27 or Psalm 39. And uh, the Bible as a whole resounds with hope. But Psalm 88 is a merciful reminder from God that the experience of darkness is not uncommon. And when we're in it, we're not as alone as we feel. And so how do we talk to God in our pain? What can we learn from the psalm? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to name the pain need to name the pain. God wants us to name the pain. Uh, what's expressed here isn't forbidden. The, the Father allows us to complain to him. A modern paraphrase of the psalm expresses the feelings of, of verses 3 and 5 like this. I've had my fill of trouble. I'm camped on the edge of hell. I'm written off as a lost cause. One more statistic, a hopeless case, abandoned as already dead. One more body in a stack of corpses and not so much as a gravestone. I'm a black hole in oblivion. And now I'm happy all the day. No. In other words, when we talk to God in our pain, it's okay to start with Father. Here's how I'm feeling right now. 
See, when life feels like too much, go to the Father. When it feels like God isn't close, talk to him. When it feels like you can't go on, tell God. When it feels like the pain won't stop, tell God. When it feels like you want to give up, tell God. When, it, when everything feels bleak and dark, tell God. He's your heavenly Father, and that's not going to change. Even when it doesn't feel like it, he's listening. If it sounds blasphemous, if it sounds irreligious, remember, it's, a, it's precisely what the psalm is saying. I thought it would be better, Lord. I, I called to you and, and you didn't answer. I've, I've heard about these miracles. Why don't you do them now in my own life? And so why is this psalm in the Bible? Surely for this reason. So that we can name the pain that we feel. If God doesn't forbid this psalm, then he allows us to say what feels real. Lord, this makes no sense. Lord, this hurts too much for it to be good. Lord, where did you go? God's not afraid of our questions. He wants us to be honest with him and name the pain, be real with our thoughts and our feelings. It, it does no good stuffing them in a box that will only inevitably explode at the wrong time. He simply wants us to come and be real with him and to name the pain. And see, part of this kind of honesty is that we learn not to avoid or shy away from pain, but learn to recognize it and address it. It teaches us to see it in others and, and consider others, to empathize and, and listen for others who might themselves be in a similar darkness. I thought it was interesting in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior, Max Lucado writes about a 38-year-old woman named Judith Bucknell. On June 9, 1980, she was the 106th homicide victim of that year in the city of Miami. Uh, a Miami Herald reporter gained access to her diary. Uh, I want you to hear one of her entries. She had simply wrote, who is going to love Judy Bucknell? I feel so old, unloved, unwanted, abandoned, used up. I want to cry and sleep forever. Reflecting on this, Lucado writes, can you hear it? The abandoned child, the failed relationship, the quiet home, the empty mailbox, the long days, the longer nights, a one-night stand, a forgotten birthday, a silent phone, cries of loneliness. Listen again. The cry is there. Our cities are full of Judy Bucknells. You can hear their cries. You can hear them in the convalescent home among the sighs and the shuffling feet. You can hear them in the prisons among the moans of shame and calls for mercy. You can hear them if you walk the manicured streets of suburban America among the aborted ambitions. Listen for it in the halls of high schools where peer pressure weeds out the have-nots from the haves. This moan in a minor key knows all spectrums of society, from top to bottom, from failure to famous, from poor to rich, from married to single. Judy Bucknell was not alone. Are we willing to emphasize empathetically enter into the world of difficulty, trouble, and confusion that someone around us may be experiencing. You see, Psalm 88, in part, I think, invites us to do just that. Empathy can be a powerful first step in really connecting with someone to whom God wants you to make Jesus make sense in their lives.
This kind of honesty and grief runs in opposition to this unhealthy but familiar church culture that can convey that, that good Christians don't cry or good Christians are always happy or good Christians are always upbeat. And so we think it's a sign of weakness, of, of failing faith if we lament before God. And we picture God with his authoritative finger pointing at us and saying, just get over it. So often churches have become places where, where people engage in denial and cover-ups and, and bottling up the pain that, that, <clears throat> that life wrings out of us. But this psalm tells us otherwise. God wants us to name the pain we're experiencing, talk to him honestly about how we feel and never give up. You see, keep praying in your pain. We read verse one again, Lord, you are God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I think this is probably the only glimmer of hope in this passage, but did you catch it? Again, right in the middle of verse nine, I call to you, Lord, every day, verse 13, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you, even in the midst of pain, even when it seems like there's no way out, even when things seem distant and silent, I continue to talk to you, Lord. I still turn to you. You see, when it's hardest to pray, pray harder. The psalmist is doing it here, even when there's not an answer, even by, by the end of the psalm, it hasn't turned around. There's no conclusion. We can still pray in the midst of our pain. In fact, it may sound something like this, Father, even though I don't understand this pain, and even though I don't understand your apparent silence in my life and it feels like you fill in the blank, I'm going to keep praying. Even with all his circumstances and sense of abandonment, he kept praying. He kept pouring out his pain to the Lord. He kept the relationship open. Uh, earlier Psalm gives us this promise. As for me, I call to, the, to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress. He hears my voice. Heman is in anguish and yet, the conversation with God continued. Reminds me in Luke 18, 1, we read, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, this can be easier said than done, but the parable that Jesus tells challenges us to stay persistent in prayer, even in the face of opposition or delayed response. Heming gives us this list of complaints and fears, frustrations and difficulties, and yet he's giving it all to God. He's still praying. You see, we can come to God like this, hurting and broken, tears in our eyes, runny, snotty noses, slobber down our chin, a face red with anger. We can still come. We can come knowing Jesus has been here. And see, on the darkest of days, from a hill called the Skull, nailed to a cross, after he cried out, after he said, it's finished, they placed him in a cold tomb and sealed him in darkness. And Jesus went there. He went there for us. 
He swallowed real darkness so that as abandoned as we might feel, as alienated as our world might seem, he, he never <clears throat> lets us go there alone. He walks that road with us. And by his cross and victory, because he looked death in the eye and came back to life three days later, Jesus holds us when it hurts. He understands. He, he leads us to not give up. You see, in verse 1, Heman recognized one important thing. It's why he kept coming back to the Lord. He cries out, O Lord, the God who saves me. He recognized that God was his only hope. It reminds me, it's the same thing Job proclaimed. Job himself suffered great loss. In fact, he could have easily have written the psalm himself, and yet he declares, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I wish we had more time today. There's so much more that could be said, but I want to leave you with some hope. We name the pain, we keep praying, and, and realize and know this pain isn't the end. We need to realize that, that Psalm 88 is not the only psalm. It's not the final psalm. It's not the last psalm. Psalm 88 is followed by lots of other psalms. In other words, there's always a Psalm 89. And psalm 89 begins like this. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. My, with my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. In a dark season, one of the biggest facts of faith you can do is name the pain and pray. And ironically, in giving a voice to that darkness, you're saying, God, somehow... I think your love is deeper and greater than this pain that I'm feeling. The faith that seems to be missing in Psalm 88 is in the fact that Psalm 88 is recorded the way it is, unresolved and messy. It shows us that even in the darkest hours, God is transforming our lives into the kind of praise that's found in Psalm 89 that leads us all the way to the hope of Revelation 22. Here's what I believe. If God is so honest about the darkness, then we can trust him when he says something about the light. If it were all light, if it were all happiness and joy, happy, happy, happy all the time, we'd say, that's not real. However, if God is willing to say, I know that pain, then we can trust him when he says, there's an answer to this. You see, God knows our pain. As I was preparing this message, I read about a place in Israel that's very relevant to where we find ourselves as we, as we near Easter. Uh, this article was describing the house of Caiaphas, if you remember, Caiaphas was uh, the high priest that Jesus was taken to for trial, and, and they spat in his face. He was beaten before taken to the cross. And they've made excavations so that you can actually see that the, the house was on a hill and some stables were, were, were built under the house into the hillside. And into the limestone that's there, there's these hitching posts that, that are carved out of the rock on which you could tie your horse. 
But just as those hitching posts are carved out of the rock down low, there is also hitching posts that are, that are carved much higher in the stone. And it's curious because no one would tie their horse way up there. However, they're there because it's where men would be stretched out and tied to be beaten in the house of the high priest. It's a pretty dark place. But not as, as dark as the pit that's dug out of the rock nearby. You see, this pit became the holding cell where, where men were thrown to be broken by the, by the fall or by the darkness of that pit. And now they've, they've put stairs down into the pit, and you get to the bottom, there's this large book on a stand in the middle of that pit. And that book contains one psalm written in, in various languages, so no matter where you come from, you can, you can read it. Can you guess what psalm is in the bottom of that pit? Someone appropriately chose Psalm 88. Why that psalm in the high priest pit? Because it's not just a psalm about what we experience, but what Jesus experienced for us. The reason Psalm 88 is in the Bible is not to show that, that God, not just to show that God knows our pain, but that he's willing to enter it. And that's a precisely what Jesus did. This is a God who says for justice sake, he would enter in and take the penalty that we deserved. The perfect son of God took our sin upon himself. He was beaten, spat on, flogged, afflicted, nailed to a cross. Why? So that the wrath of God that we deserved would fall on him and not touch anyone who say yes to Jesus and give their lives to him. He paid it all so that we could be set free from such darkness. So even when we experience pain in the dark reality of this world, we know we can name it and express it. It's no barrier to God's love for us. He's been there. He hears, he sees, he knows he's there. That's why we can pray, Father, help me to remember what my pain has obscured. Help me to trust you and to hold on to your faithful love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you don't abandon us in our pain. And Lord, honestly, sometimes we feel abandoned and we feel lonely. We feel distressed and depressed, dejected. But Father, help us, to, help us to remember what our pain and our circumstances, our experiences have, have obscured. Help us to remember you. Help us to remember Jesus who entered into our world and took the pain of our sin upon himself so that we might be called your children. Father, thank you. Help us to, to remember what our pain has hidden from us. Help us to trust you. Help us to continue to live in light of the truth of your love, of your grace. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.